Well, welcome everybody. It's good to see you this weekend. Thanks for taking the time to join us here uh, online at Grace. And thanks for carving time out of your day and making sure that you kind of stay in the habit of being in God's Word and being connected through your church family this way. So thank you. And this is a great time maybe to, to share what you're doing, uh, share that you're watching live on Facebook or YouTube or Instagram, wherever it is, and uh, let other people know that you're doing it and give them a chance to jump in as well. Uh, but it's good to see you. Uh, we've been in a series here these last few weeks that we've called Stops Along the Way. We're kind of hanging out here this summer. And, and what we're doing in this series is we're really taking the time to look at Jesus's disciples and how he taught them and how he helped them to discover his heart and his mind. And when we talk about those disciples, we're talking about the, the 12 that were kind of closest to him. We've seen him call them, them. We've seen them, him kind of sit and talk with them. We've seen them worship him and see miracles that he's done. And as he kind of went along the way, he would stop, he would teach, he would do something, he would show them, he would observe something. And it's through that process that they gain their understanding about his heart and mind. And so we've been doing that as well and making these stops with him. This weekend's stop is in Mark chapter 5. So if you have a Bible, you may want to look at Mark chapter 5. And uh, if you're using or watching through the app, things will be right there on the Grace Church app as well. Or you can look this up on your electronic device. But Mark chapter 5, verse 21 and following. Let's read through this together, and then we'll dig at it a little bit and see what Jesus is revealing about himself. Uh, this is what it says, verse 21, chapter 5 of Mark. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. And he pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. Here it is, ready? Verse 25, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors who had spent all that she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I touch his clothes, I will be healed. And immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. And at once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people gathered against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. And then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. It's this fascinating story, and we want to kind of stop and get our head around it a little bit. So it starts with Jesus on his way to Jairus's house. So Jairus was a big deal, right? He was a leader in the synagogue, heard about Jesus, knew about Jesus. 
He did what probably any father would do. His little girl was sick. She was dying. He had heard that Jesus could heal people. And so he went, boom, right to Jesus and said, Jesus, listen, if you can heal her, will you come and touch her and heal her? Big deal spiritual leader comes to Jesus and makes that request. Jesus, caring for Jairus, loving his faith, and also for his little girl, says, sure, I'll go and do that. And on his way to Jairus's house, he's walking and he's surrounded by a huge crowd of people. In fact, the Bible says they're pressing in on him. Now, let's talk about this crowd here for a minute. So who's in that crowd, right? So we've been looking at these stops along the way, kind of looking at Jesus's life, his ministry, what that looks like. And so in that crowd is going to be a plethora of different people. So in that crowd are Jarius and maybe some family and friends, and they're trying to hurry and get Jesus to Jarius's daughter because for them this is a 911 situation. In that crowd are the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders who are always looking for something to accuse Jesus of, looking for a way to bring charges up against him. And so they really were trailing him and following him, but in a critical fashion in that crowd would have been lots and lots of like normal people, right? Jarius would have been well known. So a bunch of people would have seen this happen. Jesus was often surrounded. So just folks, folks who were curious, folks who maybe wanted to see if this healing thing was legit or not. And then in that crowd were the disciples. So these 12 that, that are getting their head around who Jesus is. They, they've seen stuff, right? They've seen miracles. They've seen demons cast out. They've seen all of this stuff. And they're still kind of registering this. He's our Messiah. We think he's God. We're downloading the whole thing right now in their relationship with Jesus. It's got a little bit of a rock star effect. People want to be around him. As a disciple, you're attached to the guy who's a big deal, the celebrity or his posse a little bit. They're in that crowd. And then also in that crowd is a woman who has suffered from bleeding for 12 years. And this woman who has suffered for 12 years is in the middle of this mix, in the middle of this noise, people trying to make a path, maybe people shouting accusations, people telling other people what's going on, people getting the word out and the disciples trying to manage it all. And there's this dear lady who has suffered from this medical condition. And the Bible says this about her. Look at verse 25, chapter five. The woman was there who was subject to bleeding for 12 years. This woman had a medical condition that she had struggled with for her whole adult life. So she's been sick, she's been suffering, she's suffering physically, but she's suffering emotionally and she's suffering spiritually as well. If we could kind of step back into the ancient world, in the ancient world, a woman who was bleeding was considered unclean during the time 
that she was bleeding, not by just ancient Jewish law, but by most ancient law. So for this dear lady who could not stop that process, who had a medical condition, she had that her whole life and she would have grown up in a world that would have looked at her and said, you are unclean, you are broken. In fact, many parts of the ancient world, it would be illegal for me to interact with you. If I touch you, it would make me ceremonially unclean. And in the ancient world, if you have a medical condition, the, the, the logic would have been there's something that you did that has caused God to make this happen in your life. So I'm physically suffering. I'm emotionally suffering. I'm not really allowed to interact with people. Some parts of the ancient world, it was actually the law that she wasn't allowed to go into businesses. She wasn't allowed to purchase things when she was bleeding. And it was a constant thing. And so everywhere she goes, she's scorned. Everywhere she goes, she's looked at with a suspicion Everywhere she goes, she's looked down upon because I don't know what you did or what your parents did, but God has honked off at you. And the Bible says that her whole adult life, those 12 years that she was struggling with this and she was finding no relief or no help from it. Look at verse 26. She had suffered great, uh, a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all that she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. She's not a, a weak lady. She's not a passive lady. She has a problem and she cannot find a solution. She has looked and looked and looked and looked. She suffered a great deal under many doctors. I was looking up some of the possible medical cures that would have been brought to her in this time. And almost everything that was brought to her, we would call quackery. Uh, one of the cures said that if you took mule dung and held it in your hand for three days, it would heal you. So for 12 years, that's the kind of answer she's getting. Everything from some type of spiritualism to quackery like that, she has tried and tried and searched and searched, physically suffering, emotionally suffering, spiritually suffering, because she would have been considered sinful and unclean. The Bible says that she has spent all that she had. She's out of options. She's out of appointments, she's out of ideas, and she's out of money. And at a point where she is spent, see, spent, can you imagine that? Can you imagine that this, this dear lady's life, that, that she is rejected wherever she goes, she's spent emotionally. She is scorned wherever she goes. She's not welcome in the synagogue. She's not really welcome at church. She's probably not really welcome at her family. And if her family was a religious family that kept the religious holidays and festivals and traditions, she's not included in any of that more than likely. Her hope is spent, right? 
I, I've gone from doctor to doctor to doctor to idea to idea to idea. I, I held the mule dung in my hand for three days. I ate these herbs. I, I went and washed in this bath. I stood on one leg. I, I tried and I hoped and I hoped and somebody told me and I talked to that guy and somebody told me about this and I got that appointment. I'm spent financially. This guy claimed that he could do it and I gave him my last money. I gave him the money I was going to eat with because I am suffering from all of these things. So this dear lady who looks and says, I'm, I'm tired beyond description. I'm, I'm defeated. There is no... I go to doctors, I spend my money, and I'm getting worse. I'm defeated beyond description. I'm, I'm alienated. Nobody really wants to deal with me. They kind of treat me like a beggar. Sometimes they let me do some menial things, but everybody thinks that I'm broken and God's against me and doesn't really want me in their life. I'm at the end of my hope. I'm at the end of my ideas. I'm at the end of myself. See, that's this lady, and she's in the crowd. We've talked once or twice over, the, over time about this idea of being soul-weary. Soul-weary. And soul-weary is an exhaustion that this lady would have been in. She, she's she's be beyond the, the physical demands of having a medical condition. It, it's past that, right? Beyond the, the emotional side of rejection and no marriage and no children and, and they don't even really want me at She's past that. It's deeper. Down to the, I, I don't even know what to do about questions with God. I don't even know. I'm not... I'm not 100% sure that I care anymore. She's past that. She is weary beyond the body, beyond the emotion, beyond the answers to the depths of her soul. See? I talk to folks sometimes that are soul weary. And they'll tell me their story, and their story will be complicated, and their story will be long, and their story will be complex, and their story will be, be beyond description. You, you sit and listen to their story, and you, you sometimes think, I sometimes think, I can't believe that's happening to a person. And then they'll look at me, because they finally made it into my office, and we'll sit down and they'll say, Pastor Jeff, do you have an answer? And what I have to do is I have to look at them and I have to say, I don't. I don't know how to unwind your pain. I, I don't know how to, to work through your history. I don't, I don't even know where to begin to, to bring healing and help to your relationships. And when I say that to them, because it's the honest answer, I'll watch sometimes what I think is the, the last bit of hope kind of 
push out of them. It's, it's deflating. They had a, a long shot that they took, and I don't have an answer either. And they're weary. You see in their eyes. They're, we- they're not just tired. They're not just fed up. They're not just angry. They're weary to the depths of their soul. And that was this dear lady. Just out of options, out, out of bullets, right? And today we would say things like she, she might have felt depressed or she might have felt alone or she might have felt annihilated. She might have felt out of gas. I would say that she felt soul weary. And then something happened. Catch this. Something happened. She heard about somebody. She heard about somebody. She heard about a person that she'd never heard about before because she knew all the healers and she had shown up at all of their houses and given all of them money and and she got a handful of mule dung. She checked them all out, but she heard about somebody else, this guy named Jesus, and she heard that he was a healer. She heard the rumor. She heard the buzz. And so she heard about somebody, and that somebody offered her a glimmer of hope. And I want you to see what she did because it's fascinating. When she heard about Jesus, she came to him. When she heard that there may be hope in Jesus, that maybe he could do something for her, she went and she found him. She came up behind him in the crowd and she touched her cloak because she thought, if I touch his clothes, I will be healed. You got to get this image in your mind a little bit because there's a big crowd. The disciples are trying to make a way. They're trying to get through it, right? In the crowd is the Pharisees, and in the crowd are the folks, and in the crowd are Jairus and his family, and they're all trying to get to his house because his problem is the focal point of everybody right now. She heard that Jesus might offer her hope. And so she fights her way somehow through this crowd. Everybody's moving. Jesus isn't sitting there and you just kind of pick your way through the aisles. Everybody's moving. They're on their way to Jairus' house. And somehow the hope of Jesus so intrigued her that she throws an elbow or two. She works her way through. When you read this, it kind of sounds like maybe she's like on the ground. Like she reaches through people's knees and ankles and she touches the cloak of Jesus because she thought this. If I could just touch his clothes, then I would be healed. And she did that. And the Bible says that something incredible happened immediately. After 12 years, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Just boom. She touches Jesus. She comes in contact with Jesus. Immediately, she's healed. She felt it in her body. Something physical happened to me when I touched Jesus. Now, catch this. This is fascinating. Look at what Jesus does. She feels this. She's healed. Jesus, at once, Jesus realizes that power had gone out from him, and he turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? Isn't that fascinating? 
Jesus, as he's going through this crowd, he feels his power leave him. He stops. Remember, everybody's moving to Jairus's house. So it's a pile. You've seen this. Think of Michael Jordan in a crowd or the Justin Bieber in a crowd. They're moving. He's a rock star. They're moving through this crowd. The disciples are making a way. People are yelling. People are talking. People are giving instructions. She somehow wiggles her way through, touches him. Jesus stops in the crowd. Everybody kind of runs into him. And he says, who touched me? The disciples, when Jesus said that, the disciples look, they say, you see the, the people crowding against you? His disciples answered, and yet you can ask who touched me? The disciples were like, really? Who touched me? Everybody's touching you. I, I, how could you even ask that question, right? They're a little taken aback little flabbergasted, a little worried that people are pressing too far in on Jesus. Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. It's fascinating. In the middle of this noise, in the middle of this chaos, this lady who is suffering, she's suffering, physically suffering, emotionally suffering, spiritually suffering. She's not tired, she's not worn out, she doesn't have a little bit of a cough. She is weary to her bones. She is soul weary. She's desperate. She's defeated. She's out of hope, and she hears about a healer. And her thought process was, if I could just get into his presence, if I could, if I could bump into Jesus, maybe he could help me. Maybe he could heal me. Jesus is the rock star. He's on his way to an important guy's house to do an important thing, and he does heal the daughter. And, and so all that's playing out. He's in the middle of a much bigger story. This lady doesn't even have a name in the Bible. Jairus was an official of the synagogue and his little daughter. He's in the middle of a much bigger story. And in the middle of that much bigger story, this lady who has been rejected, who has been alienated, who has been defeated, who has suffered greatly, and who is out of money, by faith fights her way through the crowd, and she touches him, and he heals her. Power left him. He heals her. See? And then he looks around and says, um... I just healed somebody. Who is it? And this lady's fascinating. She came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear. Why would she be trembling with fear? Why would she be trembling with fear? Because she spent her whole life nobody caring anything about her. 
She spent her whole life being told to go away. She spent her whole life that if there was ever somebody as important as Jesus around you, you should get as far away from him as possible. So in her life, in her habits, and her behavior, she had done the taboo thing. She did what she wasn't supposed to do. So when he turns around, he catches her. What do you want? Did you touch me? She says, she comes in trembling with fear, and I love this. And she told him the whole truth. What's the whole truth? Jesus, this is the whole thing. I'm a, I'm a person who's been bleeding for 12 years. I'm unclean according to most laws. I'm taboo according to almost everybody. I have no solutions. I have no answers. And by the way, Jesus, I don't have a penny to give you. I have nothing. I have nothing. Look at me. Catch this. I have nothing but hope. Will you help me? I was hoping that you could help me. I am beyond exhausted. I don't even have words anymore to say what my suffering is like. I have a long shot. So I threw some elbows. And I'm just hoping you are who you say you are. And I probably shouldn't have done that. But I did. I did. Now, catch this. Look at this. Look at it. Ready? He said to her, daughter, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. You got to catch this. You got to catch this. Ready? Download this. She's looking at a teacher, a rabbi, the last person that should be in her presence and her, in, in her mind. I shouldn't be within 10 feet of this guy because I am unclean. My whole adult life, my family, my friends, if I have any, the whole town, the whole religious establishment, all the doctors, everybody told me that I'm unclean. The reason that their hocus pocus didn't work for me is because there is something wrong with me. I am exhausted beyond what I can describe. I have a long shot I can take. And so I broke every rule that I had been taught. I was taught that if you're unclean, if you're broken, if there's something wrong with you, that God doesn't want anything to do with you, you're supposed to distance yourself from him. I was taught that if you screw up, if you sin, if you break the religious norms, if you do those things, that God doesn't want anything to do with you. In fact, you should run from God. And I don't have any money. I can't pay a penance. I can't pay a, a, a temple tax. I can't bring anything to pay off God or satisfy who I am because surely there's something wrong with me. And when I take that long shot and I make that move and I 
I reach out to that God, he finds me. I tell him my whole story, and he looks at me and says, sweetie, you're my little girl. Daughter, I love you. Everybody else lied to you. I'm not like that at all. In fact, your faith is blowing my mind. Your faith was so strong that I healed you and didn't even really know I was doing that until I felt the power go out of me. And your faith has healed you, and now I want to give you something you haven't had your whole adult life. Peace. Peace. You're anxious, tied up in knots, exhausted soul, peace. You're free. You're free of your shame. You're free of your guilt. You're free of your isolation. You're free of your physical problem. You're free of your suffering. Go in that peace. As I read that story and was thinking it through, I started thinking about the disciples. Because they're trying to download Jesus, right? Remember, they're kind of starting with a blank slate with him. They didn't meet him that long ago. And they saw the miracle of the fish in the boat. And they, and they saw Jesus calming the storm, and they saw some, him relieving some folks of some demons. They've seen some stuff. And in their mind, as the power and the truth and the wonder of who Jesus played out, he would have elevated in stature in their mind. In their mind, he's more and more and more important. And now, and now Jarius, I mean, Jarius is well known in the synagogue. Jarius even knows to come and talk to our guy. And Jarius' daughter is sick, and he's a big deal. So let's get the posse together. Let's put the security detail around Jesus. Let's get the Jarius' house and in the middle of that crowd is all those important people and all those critics and all those looker-ons and all those disciples and this dear lady. And when this dear lady, exhausted and broken and spent, reached out for hope, God knowing her heart, honoring her faith, brought healing and peace into their life. And the disciples, the disciples are downloading that. What is going on? Our, our rock star guy notices the lady that, that everybody has walked past for 12 years and tried to avoid. Our rock star guy when the lady, she shouldn't have even been close. She should have got tased about two layers out. How did she even get, all she did was touch his rope. I mean, that sounds like hocus pocus magic stuff. 
our rock star guy, our rock star guy who's on his way to Jerry's house, I mean, this is a very important meeting, stops, finds her, blesses her, honors her, and gives her freedom from her suffering, gives her rest for her weary soul. The disciples learned that Jesus, Jesus is just not a God that's kind of out there somewhere. He's a God that is in the middle of that crowd and notices that tired, tired dear lady. He is a healer. He is powerful. He is important. He is a big deal. And in the middle of the noise of your life, he notices when you reach out for him. Guys, I think our world is soul weary. I think we're tired. It's part of why we're on edge, right? We're on edge. All of us are that way a little bit. We're just right there on edge. And you see our cities blow up and you see culture wars break out. And you see political messes and you hear this opinion and you hear that opinion. And friends who used to be friends are now accusing others, each other of horrible things because they don't agree on a certain position. And then you go home and you have the personal things in your own life. You might have physical suffering where you look and say, I, how much longer do I have to battle this diabetes, this cancer, this sickness, this frustration? You might have relational suffering, that my relationship with my spouse or even my ex and the complexities, and it's, it's so deep and it's so entangled and it's so back and forth and the kids are so involved. And the situation with my roommate and we were so close and then this happened, then that happened, and they started dating them and then they said this about her and, and the situation with my friend who's addicted and we've taken him to rehab and we've tried this and we've tried that and we tried the other thing and the stuff at work and the pressure is so big right now because we're all on the verge of losing our jobs. And at the end of that, you can sit down with somebody like a pastor or your spouse or whoever and say, give me an answer. And if that person is honest, they have to look at you and say, I don't know one. There's not another doctor to go to. There, there's not an amount of money that will make this go away. And when we hit those points in our life, the, the grief is overwhelming and the frustration is overwhelming and when are we ever going to get out of this COVID thing and this, the life and the culture is overwhelming. And the honest answer is that there is really no answer. But there is hope. See. What hope did you hear about? You know about hope? What, what hope do you know about? What, what, what hope did you find? Well, I heard about this guy. I heard about this guy. A guy that will stop in the middle of the chaos. A guy that loves you, that thinks you're important, that, that, 
that knows about how weary your soul is. I heard about this guy. Well, how do you get, I don't have any money. I don't, how do you get, can you get a ticket? Is it an online thing? Do you have to get a Zoom invitation? No, if you'll just like go get him, he'll bring hope and healing and help to your life. And when you get there, be honest, be honest, completely honest. Why'd you reach out for me? I know what else to do. Why'd you reach out for me? I've blown my life up. Why'd you reach out for me? There's not a rehab plan that would work for me. Why'd you reach out for me? Because she dumped me and I'm heartbroken and I don't, I don't know what to do with my life right now. Why'd you reach out for me? Because my career is what I live for and it just got taken away. Why'd you reach out for me? Because we're out of money and I don't think the stimulus check is going to help. Why'd you reach out for me? Because I just can't take it anymore. All right. I love your faith, daughter, son. Your faith your faith will heal your soul. Your, your faith is what I want. And I love that. I love that you came and reached out for me. And I'll stop for you. And I want to bring healing and help to your exhausted soul. And I want you to be free. Free from your suffering. Now, guys, I want to show you something. I want to show you something. I want to have a, a Sabbath moment. The word Sabbath in the Bible means to stop, rest, and reconnect. Stop, rest, and reconnect. And this reaching out for Jesus is tied to that. And I want to, I want to do something with you this weekend, okay? I want to have a, a Sabbath moment. So this is what I want you to do. I want you to stop what you're doing. Just stop. So if, if you're listening to me and you're doing the dishes, just stop for a minute. If you've got your phone on this and your computer, the internet up on your laptop on that, just shut the laptop for a second or vice versa. Just stop. If you're, if you're driving, find a rest stop. If you're running, go down to a walk. Just stop for a minute. And then I want you to rest, okay? Let's rest. What is rest? Rest means, I, just for a minute, I'm not gonna think about COVID. I'm not gonna think about politics. I'm not gonna think about my job. I'm not gonna think about how the yard needs mowed. I'm just gonna, just rest. Like, take a breath, just rest for a minute. Ready? Reach out for Jesus. Just be honest with him. Start to pray. Jesus, I've been distant. Jesus, I've been in rebellion. I've been in sin. Jesus, I'm desperate. 
Here's one. Jesus, I don't even know what to say. I'm at the end of myself. Would you, Jesus, do something for me? Would you somehow show up and help me know in my heart and my mind that you love me? Let's just take a minute. Let's just take a minute, right? You bow your head and you pray. Stop, rest, and let's connect, right? And let's connect. And just for a minute or two here, let's just be still and be with Jesus. You just talk to him. Just talk to him about what's in and on your weary soul. Just keep your, your eyes closed. Just stop. Just stop. Ignore the phone. Ignore the noise. Just rest. Maybe you have sin that you need to confess. Just be honest. Jesus, this is, this is what I'm reaching out for. Help me. I feel guilt and shame. Help me. Maybe there's apathy. Jesus has been so hard with all of my routines broken and I haven't really and you're scared. Lord, my kids, the future, what are they gonna do with school? What? Maybe you're angry can't believe this has happened. It didn't seem necessary to me. I... Maybe you lack faith. Jesus, I've tried this before and you haven't felt real to me. I'm not sure. I... 
Just be completely honest. And Christ looks down at you as you push your way through the crowd. He's not mad. He's not annoyed. He's not interrupted. He doesn't have more important people to deal with. He looks at his, his daughter, his son, so happy that you came and got me. I want to forgive you. I want you to cast all of your anxiety and care on me. Let, let me hold it. Let me, let me worry about the planet and the country and the pandemic and, and the path the kids are on and the money and your friend that just feels like they freaked out. Let me worry about it. I want you to be at peace. Be free from your suffering. And as God does that work in your life, you, you kind of feel it, not in a weird way, but in a spiritual way. Burden lifted. This almost like this haze that goes away from your eyes, kind of metaphorically. You know, you just like see the world differently. Because you you came to your Savior, and there there are not answers to those questions. I wish I had them, I'd tell them to you. I wish I had them for myself. But there is an answer, because there's a guy, there's a person, there's a God who will stop in the middle of the noise and meet you and love you and help you. Jesus, we need you. We need you in big ways, Lord. We're all tired, we're, we're sick of it. We're frustrated in our plans. School, are they going to have classes this year? What about sports? The job. And then our normal relationships, our normal pressures and health issues and life questions and uncertainty. And in the middle of it all, as we're scrambling and pushing, we have a God that loves us, a God that will stop a God that senses that we need and will bring healing and help to our lives. God, help us not to just have a moment, but to, to, to introduce a different pattern into our life, a pattern when we come to you, we come to you. And we know that when we do that, you will give us rest for our weary souls. 
We love you, Jesus. Thanks for meeting us even in this place now. In your name we pray. Amen.